With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. everybody to episode four of the pinstripe alley bomber brothers podcast sean and ryan with you today and the yankees back on the east coast they are enjoying a day off today as we record on thursday they've lost two in a row but they went six and three on this west coast trip and sean given the nature of the injuries and what the lineup looks like right now i mean even geo urshela and dj lemayhew had injury scares, both seem to be okay, but with with even them out of the lineup for a day or two, six and three on this road trip is, is pretty unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, you go out and you, you win three out of four to the Angels, and I know we recorded right before a really tough loss to the Angels uh, to finish that series, but um, then you go out and sweep the Giants, who really are, wow, they're a bad team. Uh, but it was, you know, you end with a sour taste with the two game sweep at Arizona, two games you felt like they could have won. Um, but they did, you know, they scored what one run and then the next night two runs. So uh, that's not going to get it done. But hopefully, as we look ahead, we'll be getting some more offense uh, coming through within the next couple of weeks, which would solve that. But I mean, overall, I got to say, you're really happy with the road trip on a whole. Um, West Coast trips are always a big bugaboo for East Coast teams. And to come out, Playing 750 ball, um, can't complain. Or no, 667, sorry. Yeah, not at all. The The losses in Arizona were perhaps a little frustrating, just given the fact that they were put in position to win. CC Sabathia pitched well um, on Tuesday, which was obviously a historic day for him. 3,000 strikeout, which, which we'll definitely get into on today's episode and then you had the loss yesterday where uh they were also in position to win Tanaka again gives up a home run that's his fifth start in a row where he's given up the long ball after two really really good starts to start the season 
again, it just seems like he's kind of back to being Tanaka in a way. He He's really good in stretches, and then he gives up the long ball, which proved to be the difference yesterday. Even though Luke Voigt mashed a home run himself, he's been on a, on a tear in terms of his on-base streak, which has reached 41 games now, I believe. And uh, other than that, the, those two losses... You, know, you you wish you had stole one of those on the road, but now you get another day off. Hopefully, get Miguel Andujar back for this weekend. And really, as feel good as this stretch has been, going six and three on a nine game West Coast trip with the replacement players that you have filling the lineup, it's probably getting to be that time where you really need some of these guys to start coming back because this next stretch where you have the Twins, the Mariners, and the Rays. It's you know th- these aren't going to be the Giants and Angels anymore. These are teams that are going to be putting up much more of a fight than those other teams. I mean the Twins come in at eighteen and ten. They're 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 killing the ball. They've got a lot of guys on their team that that have been hitting the ball really hard, and and they're they're going to present they're going to present a challenge. So hopefully they can start out and get a good outing from Paxton tomorrow, and then start getting some of these reinforcements back for some of these better teams they're going to be facing soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I think they took care of what they needed to do, and I think um, that that shows you a lot about what what how the team has sort of gelled when taken in that kind of underdog mentality. But that only goes so far, and I think we kind of saw that as the you know they had that off day, and then you kind of felt a little bit of that momentum and kind of the air was let out of the balloon, and they were ready to come home. But those two games in Arizona, they looked. Um, pretty lifeless offensively and like you said that's they're they're not you know it was it was a weird road trip where you felt like except for those last couple games in san francisco where they just mauled um you know thanks to sanchez hitting a grand slam and you know on sunday another homer but aside from those games you just felt like they were finding ways to pull out wins and stuff like that and um that's not going to happen against different competition so turning our eyes to this week coming up um well, maybe we don't have to go there yet, but getting Andujar back is going to be a huge, a huge key. And I th- Andujar represents one of the most fascinating cases this season when it comes to all these injuries. You, you heard about the Stanton's bicep strain, Hicks's uh, lower back stiffness, uh, Severino's shoulder inflammation, Tulowitzki's calf strain. Well, Tulowitzki wasn't really surprised that he had a setback, but. Um, <laughs> But you, you hear all those injuries, and then you hear a partially torn labrum for Andujar, and you're, and you're like, all right, well, he's going to be shut down for a while. Like, they can't – this is not right. something you can mess around with. And, and here he is being one of the first guys to come back. It's, it's pretty fascinating how, how quickly he's, you know, come back to health. They're playing him at third base in, the, in these rehab games. It, it's pretty unbelievable. I mean, of course, we are – Super excited to get him back. He's a huge bat they need back. Maybe not excited to get his defense back, especially the way Gio Rochelle has been playing uh, well, at the do, hot do you have Do you have to get his defense back? I mean, can't you just DH him and play Void at first? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I think Andujar's defense is actually something not necessarily uh, needed right now. I don't think it's ever needed, but I mean, I just mean in terms of replacing a bat in the lineup because when you think about it, Urshela has been one of the Yankees' best hitters 
since he got called up. He's been doing great, not to mention his stellar play in the field. You have Torres at short who has broken out of his slump. He's been, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I I would imagine they would show that he's been perfectly fine at shortstop so far. Nothing too spectacular. You have LeMahieu at second, who obviously plays great defense. And and before he got uh, injured in San Francisco, he had broken out of his slump in a huge way. He had a great West Coast trip. And then Luke Voigt at first, and we all know how he's been doing at the plate. So, you know, you don't you don't need to put Andahar back in, in in defense. You can just throw him throw him at DH, and then your outfield will, would be, uh, I guess, Talkman, Gardner, and and hopefully Frazier is another guy you hope to have back. Oh soon. Yeah, yeah, I know he was uh, I know he was taking fly balls and and in the outfield yesterday in Arizona. So hopefully he's due back soon. And well, if you put Frazier in left and Stanton in right. D.H. Andujar, and then Torres Sanchez. Now all of a sudden we're starting to look like a real baseball team. Yeah, I don't know exactly when Stanton is due back. You hope that Cortisone shot took and he starts getting some some rehab practice in. But I think it was I think it was Pete Caldera who had a rundown of every player and the nature of their injury when they're expected back. And I think he put Stanton at uh, early to mid May, which is right around now or the next week or so. So, yeah, hopefully he's back soon and and the Yankees start looking like the Yankees they were supposed to be as these as these bigger and better teams come in because again, this has been a great story. It's funny how the Yankees seem to be taking on some sort of lovable underdog role. Although, as our friend Josh at Pinstripe Alley pointed out, it's kind of funny the Yankees have almost and I think an identical strikeout percentage walk percentage slugging percentage so you know a lot of people are are like oh look at these scrappy underdogs coming up from triple a getting the yankees some wins when really they've kind of been winning by a similar nature that the yankees of old were winning baseball games yeah but i also think i mean a lot of that is fueled by just a a few players you know what i mean like oh yeah sanchez has been hitting home runs and um and yeah, Voight's just unconscious. Yeah, he that home run he hit in uh, Arizona yesterday was an absolute laser. And I mean, Sanchez's two home runs, those were just absolute missiles. So it's great to see him back and healthy. Uh, he had a great, he had a great play from behind the plate. I can't remember who was stealing, but he threw someone out stealing in in San Francisco on yeah, a really yeah. perfect throw. So it seems like Sanchez is back and. Hopefully some more people start start coming back, but in in the meantime these these guys have been doing a pretty good job. I, I mean, I, I would say I'd say Gio Urshela has been the most impressive for me and the most enjoyable to watch. I never thought I would say that when you know when we were here in in May that when Gio Urshela got hit by a pitch that I you know held my breath and panicked that it would be such a uh, decimation to the Yankees lineup but but here we are and I, I'd say I'm I've been most impressed by him I don't I don't know if who you think has impressed you the most out, out of these guys who have had to be plugged into the lineup so far but I'd say Urshela is is pretty far and away my my choice right now Urshela without a doubt not only the improvements he's made at the plate because we saw him um when he was with Cleveland um and he wasn't much of a hitter but he 
he seems to be hitting pretty well now. And I mean, he, they talked about him making some adjustments at the plate, but he seems to make a play at third base every, every game that saves at least a run. I mean, he does something pretty incredible over there every day. And that's why I think when Andujar comes back, really just nurse him as a DH for now. I mean, judge is going to be out at least probably still two months from now. Cause we're only what a week and a half away from his for injury. So, you could put Stanton in right field and have Andujar as DH and kind of ease him back into third, giving Urshela plenty of playing time. I mean, um, I think that's definitely the way to go because he's been a game changer defensively for them. And I think that's really, um, really good when you have guys like, um, you know, Tanaka or um, Britain that you're going to be getting a lot of ground balls from. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully you get a lot of ground balls from, from Britain. <laughs> he's been... Well, and Tanaka at this point. I mean, he's starting to get in, like we said, the Tanaka of old. Yeah, that's that's the next thing I'm working on for Pinstripe Alley. I was just looking at his splitter, which has been his his least valuable pitch this year, according to Fangraphs, which is obviously not something you want to see because that's his trademark put-away pitch, that splitter. And it's, it's interesting. I was, looking, I was looking into it last night, and his... His spin rate, his velocity, his vertical movement, all of it is still the same. Some of it even a little more than than where it was last year. But you then you look at the heat maps and they're much more lower part of the strike zone, knee high, and obviously in this era of the launch angle, you throw a breaking ball right that breaks right towards somebody's knees, they can lift that over the fence with and you also mix that in with Tanaka's home run susceptibility, and that's obviously not a great recipe. So that's definitely something he's going to have to figure out is to start burying that splitter in the dirt again to get those swings and misses because they have not they have not been there so far this year. And, and it shows in his confidence in the pitch because his usage of that splitter has been going down and he's been going way more to his slider. But again, I mean, that's something hitters can start to sit on once you realize that that's become his his number one pitch you need you need that splitter to keep those hitters guessing so hopefully hopefully he can figure that out but you know it's it's also impressive to see that while he can't get his splitter to do what he wants right now he's still putting together okay outings I mean you know the Diamondbacks scored three runs yesterday the Yankees the Yankees could have and probably should have won that game but I guess this is what comes with the territory of putting putting out lineups like this sometimes you're just not going to get a lot of runs they scored three over the or yeah they scored three over this two game series which is obviously not enough even though uh the pitching put them in position to win including Tommy Canley who we should also discuss because he has been great I mean you know with the struggles of Chad Green and and the struggles of high leverage Jonathan Holder who they uh keep bringing into high leverage situations they brought him in in a tie game or they brought him in in a one-run game in Tuesday's game, which is still a little confusing. But with with both Green and Holder not quite being what they were, and Britain having some struggles, Tommy Canley has been huge for the bullpen. Mm-hmm. And Green also, by the way, looked pretty good um, in yeah. his first minor league appearance. Right, I think he had a, quite a few strikeouts in two innings. So that's definitely. Um, definitely a positive sign and something the bullpen could desperately need. Cause like you were saying, there's still guys getting, getting innings in, in high leverage situations that shouldn't be. But <laughs> Yeah. It's, it seemed like, um, judging by some 
tweets and video from the Rail Riders beat reporters. It looks like Green switched up his mechanics a little bit, holding his holding his hands up at his chest instead of down at his waist now before he uh, goes into his delivery, which you know sometimes. Look at what a difference that made for Severino, just changing his hands. Yeah, exactly. And and Green is kind of in a similar situation that Severino was in, in that he just needed to develop another pitch to become more effective. Severino needed that change up to become a good starter because all he had was the fastball slider, which you know you need more than that as a starting pitcher when you're seeing guys more times through a lineup than just an inning or two. And Green still has the same life on his fastball, but he just has kind of a flat slider and a, and a splitter that he just started trying out last summer. So, you know, you, you hope one of those develops. Certainly seemed like a good sign uh, in his first outing in Scranton. So hopefully he's back soon, and hopefully Britain can stop walking people soon because that was – that's it's been stressful. It's You, you think about it, you have, you have Britain and Chapman, who are two of your, you know, most – are supposed to be your most trusted arms in the bullpen, and it's it's a stressful watch because both of them could lose the strike zone at any moment. Yeah, it's always 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 scary when either of them are on the mound, and I think I think with Chapman it's more of like a slow death because you see it coming, but with Britain it it seems to happen quickly. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, not that that's that important, but. Um, Anyway, before we start looking ahead, what was your favorite moment from this West Coast trip? I know you probably got to watch more innings than I did, um, but I definitely have one that sticks out for me. But what's what was your favorite moment from this late night West Coast road trip? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm actually a little bummed they're coming back east, not just because they were playing well out west, but because you know with with my work schedule, I was able to watch every inning of every game this this. Uh, yeah, this but road they're coming. Swing. They're coming home, and now we get to go see. You're going to the game Saturday. I'm going to the game Saturday. Oh no, I, I know, I know. It was just a selfish thing of saying I, I like being able to watch the whole game, but um, selfish. Uh, I mean, just, there, just like Ricky Henderson. <laughs> there, there's only one obvious answer. I mean, CC's three thousand strikeout was, was my was my favorite moment. Um, if we're taking out the obvious, and and we'll we'll talk about that one in a second. But if we're taking yeah, I didn't out even the, think about that actually. <laughs> I was thinking more of like you know like just a. Yeah, go ahead. If we're taking out the obvious, um, I guess I would say Sanchez's Grand Slam. Yeah, I was actually driving um, home and had John and Susan on for that. So that was pretty pretty awesome because Sterling got really excited and just, you know, he had pretty, had a pretty rough day, a uh, pretty rough trip up to that point. Yeah. And um, you were really pulling for him. And I think he had, it was like a one-two count when he hit it. So I thought was, it was 0-2. Maybe, maybe it was 1-2. Oh, yeah. 0-2 or 1-2. Yeah, I know there were two strikes. So I was definitely like, oh, shit, I hope it doesn't strike out again. And then, boom, uh, John went nuts. Uh, Susan was very happy. So just listening to that in the car was great. Um, but, yeah, let's um, let's talk about CC. I would love to talk about CC. He's one of my favorites. And, and we're obviously super happy for him. You know, there's just – so many great parts about this story to what he overcame in terms of his personal demons that flared up in 2015 to his, you know, demons as an athlete back in 2013 when he had lost that lively fastball and had to completely reinvent himself. I mean, he was not very good in 2013, and that was about when most people thought that Sabathia was toast and that he was done. He, was start- he started to battle those uh, chronic knee injuries he just had completely lost his efficiency on the mound 
And here we are five years later, and he's still a perfectly serviceable fifth starter, pitching well through uh, through four starts this year. And now he's one of three lefties to have 3,000 strikeouts, one of 17 pitchers overall to have 17 strikeouts. And, and uh, Jay Jaff did a really detailed piece breaking down where Sabathia stands on Fangraphs yesterday, which was a great read, but... You know, he, he seems to think that in five years after Sabathia becomes eligible for the Hall of Fame, it's kind of his candidacy is kind of going to depend on how some of these other pitchers fare in getting to 3,000 strikeouts. You know, the Grankies, the Scherzers, the Verlanders. If, if he becomes eligible and all of these other guys have already gotten to 3,000 strikeouts by then, he thinks that could water down his candidacy. But, I mean, in, in my eyes, he's this, this guy's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean... I don't know how you don't make CC a Hall of Famer. I mean, he was one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball for a decade, and then he's had this whole second act where he's kind of um, he's taken on that Andy Pettit role of being the being the mentor to the staff, and um, but also in like a kind of like more um, demonstrative way, I guess is the right way to say it. Like he's very animated and stuff, but Andy was too. But um, you know, Andy would never said that's for you, bitch. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but it's kind of been like this cool, like um, this this cool transformation to watch. Um, but I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you after what he did in 2008 for the Brewers and 2009 for the Yankees, um, what he did in that ALCS to get them to the World Series, along with A Rod, obviously. Um, and then I. Didn't he only lose like one game after the All Star break in '09 when the Yankees had the big the big second half run? It was, um, it was something like that, and and he had the rough beginning in the first game mm-hmm. of that ALDS, um, which he compl- which he settled down fine, and then Jeter hit the home run that game, and then and then he wins the ALCS MVP. So he was yeah, yeah. he was he was absolutely phenomenal that year. And, and yeah, and that's not even his best act. His best act comes the year before when he's pitching like on three days rest for a month and a half for the Brewers to to get them into the playoffs by one game. I mean, that's crazy. And then you throw in all you know all the other stuff that that, that he's posted throughout his career, not just the strikeouts, but all the wins and, and how he pitched in Cleveland, um, and then how he pitched for the first um, three or four four years of his Yankee tenure. I I just. You know, the guy was one of the best starting pitchers in baseball for a decade. He's he's a Hall of Famer, and he's still a very good starting pitcher in baseball. I mean, he, he you know, if you're going a game when CeCe's pitching, you don't, you know, you think you're getting a quality start, and for the most part, that's what he provides. Um, so, yeah, CeCe's a Hall of Famer in my, my book, and I thought the coolest thing about his 3,000 strikeout was his kids having, like, the three, the zero, yes, the zero. Yeah. That, was, that was pretty sick. That was great. That was awesome to see. Super happy for him and his family. And and obviously another funny thing to see was that it seemed like after the strikeout, he almost was still a little angry at the ump for uh, yeah. that strike call he wanted. <laughs> and yeah, he, he I even don't admitted know that, it. Even Jeff Nelson, um, who by the way, Jeff Nelson did a really good job. Yes, we um, should we should talk about him too. I, I really I enjoyed his uh, his commentary. I've tweeted at him a couple times trying to get him to come on, but uh, no answers. <laughs> Um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. So, uh, just clicking back in the Jay's article from yesterday. So from CC's peak years, which would be, you know, 2006 to 2012, only pitcher who had a higher war was Roy Halladay. I mean, that's, 
Exactly. A no-doubt Hall of Famer. And then the only people who had a higher ERA minus was Halliday and Brandon Webb. And they were also the only two to have a lower FIP minus. So, I mean, that's that's an incredible peak stretch that he had there. Never led the league in strikeouts, but he still piled on the strikeouts. He was in the top ten in the league every year in that category. So that's obviously a great consistency that you want to see in a Hall of Famer. And then salvage the back end of his career. I mean, just two short years ago, this is a guy that was counted on for a Game 5 do-or-die situation in the ALDS and came through. And this was, you know, a couple years after everyone figured that CC's time as a reliable starting pitcher was over. And here he is still pitching well. It's It's pretty remarkable how he's been able to resurrect his career without the velocity that he you know, lived on for so long. It's uh, always great to see when someone can reinvent himself and kind of change the way he's been pitching for his whole life and keep his mind open to changing just for the sake of survival and then wanting to continue pitching. And I, I know I'm definitely going to miss CC. He's definitely become one of my favorite Yankee pitchers ever right next to you – you can throw him up on my Yankee Mount Rushmore with, uh, with Pettit, Moe, and Cone. And then you put CeCe up there, and I think you've got my, my favorite Yankee pitcher since I've become a fan. I, I, CeCe's just been incredible to watch. He seems like he's even more incredible in the clubhouse, which makes you like him even more. So great great to see CeCe uh, reach such a landmark. Yeah, I, um, you know, it, it's weird. He has this Yankee career where he posts sub-3-4 sub ERAs for the first four years. With the Yankees, then he has the hiccup between 13 and 15. Although I'll contend that down the stretch in 2015, he won some big games to make sure they got into the playoffs. I mean, I I think about that game he pitched against Boston um, the, the night that they clinched. Uh, I think that was like two nights before he announced he was going to rehab. That was pretty pretty great performance. And then he comes back in the last four years. It's like, you know, you thought you were just getting this declining guy who would maybe mentor guys. But ERAs the last four years, 3-9, 3-6, 3-6. And he's right now at a two six. So, I I mean, he could probably still keep pitching if he wanted to. But obviously, with his health and his family, that's what he wants to do. So he has the right to do that. And I'll definitely miss watching him pitch. Um, I I probably would take. I've always been a little bit more of a. Who was your Mount Rushmore against eight again? Uh, CC Pettit Cone Rivera. That's that's not bad. I would probably put Moose on there. I know that's he oh. he would be my honorable mention. Yeah, I just I like I, I like watching a guy who looks like he's thinking a little bit more. Well, you read K by Tyler Kepner, who we had on a couple weeks, and Musina thinks an awful lot on the mound. He uh, he broke down his thought process when he's on the mound, and uh, man, it stressed me out just reading it. How much was going through his mind? Didn't seem to stress him out, judging by his career, but yeah. What about uh what about Clemens on that list? Um I mean that's another great one too just because of how I mean oh man he was so dominant in 99 he had some huge starts for the Yankees in in 2001 and in, in the playoffs. He, I mean I, I would put his splitter on my Mount Rushmore of pitches, <laughs> of pitches from Yankees that I enjoyed watching right there with Rivera's cutter. I mean that was that was a nasty pitch to watch. Um he'd be another guy uh 
on very close on the outskirts looking in, but I, I still would say CC just because. Gotcha. Um, I don't know. It's there's also the the infectious personality and and just mm-hmm. how uh, how enjoyable he seems to be as as a as a person. I was bummed. I think I know you showed up late on photo day a couple years ago. I think I'm pretty sure he had passed by by the time you got there. Yeah, he had. I didn't. He, get... Yeah, he was awesome. He was uh, he was great, friendly. Um, yeah. So Clemens is is a good one, but I would I would keep CC on there. It's probably better that he he moved on because the only Yankee that's still a Yankee that we took a picture with is Sanchez. Other than that, everybody else is, has left us. Well, um, yeah, I guess so. Oh, no. Well, another one before you got there, but um, Didi and Dellen. You got pictures with them? With Didi, yeah. Ah, gotcha. I didn't know that. I thought it only Dellen. Anyway. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, all right, so what else we got now? Now I guess now we're looking ahead. We got the Twins this weekend, who have been have been a really, really good team. They can hit the ball. I mean, the starting pitching has been great for the Yankees, which has been another huge reason why they've been able to keep winning and keep pace in the American League East, where they're only I think a game and a half back, or maybe it's a game now. They they technically gained a half game yesterday because the the Rays got swept by the Kansas City Royals. Who who would have figured? But um, thanks to uh, thanks to a high leverage save by uh, Ian Kennedy in, in the afternoon game, I was watching that. My one. guy. <laughs> uh, so yeah, twin, Twins this weekend. Uh, I mean, what what's considered a success at home back on the East Coast is is does it have to be two out of three? I mean, this is a good Twins team, and this is you know a Yankee team that is still very very much depleted even if Andohar comes back at some point this weekend you you would imagine there's going to be some rust that needs to be shaken off despite having a couple rehab games under his belt well the the Yanks are two back and I think oh in the yeah because they lost yesterday yeah well the, the I think in the last week and a half or maybe just a week the Mariners run differential has won from plus 41 to plus four so they're kind <laughs> of in a, in a slide back down to earth um, so for this seven-game homestand, when you got the Mariners and the Twins, I would say four and three is perfectly fine. Um, I, I I don't know if the Mariners are as you know they, they're coming off a terrible terrible couple of days, but um, I, I mean the the Twins are no joke, and I think that could have something to do with the competition they face because the Central is just awful and. Although I love watching Corey Kluber pitch, and he hasn't been good lately, I feel bad that he broke his arm. But oh, the yeah. Indians really punted on this on this season with the offseason they had, and the Twins are taking advantage, as they should. I'm excited to see Astadio come into Yankee Stadium. I'm really excited to watch him play. <coughs> well, is uh, he still on the injured list? Is he going to be back? I don't know. Let me check. Because that, that would be a huge bummer. Because I know he was on the injured list a few days ago, 
that would really suck because obviously we want to watch him when we're at the stadium. Uh, I don't know because they actually said he might not come back till Monday. Oh, come on. Which would just be a a bummer. But he ran yesterday. That was for a quick return. I was hoping to see the Tortuga, but... um, Yeah, he can't come off actually until Wednesday. Jeez. So F this. Damn, I'm returning my tickets. Well, if if it wasn't... At least we're getting CC Sabathia Jedi bobbleheads. That'll that'll ease the pain. Now, here's the thing about this weekend that I always th- this <laughs> is like this is the thing I always think about with the Yankee season. I don't get too worked up till they play the Twins that weekend in May because I feel like if you look at 2009, if you look at last season, the winning streak and like the big turnaround always happens when the twins roll into Yankee Stadium. <laughs> we just steamroll them and then we just go on our merry way and win a hundred games. Like that's the way it's always been for all of time. Like, it's true. Last year was the walk off for Gary Sanchez, the walk off home run. Um, that was off to Rodney, finish off right? the sweep off of, off of Rodney. Yeah. So yeah, that that got the Yankees rolling. But I feel like it happens. Like two thousand nine, they walked off on them what like three times. Yeah, that wasn't that right when A Rod came back or yeah 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 it's Damon funny. hit the walk off. A Rod hit a walk off. I think that was Melky had one in that series. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. it was the Who Wants Pie that today uh, phase. But this Twins team looks really good, and we're not set up for that unless you say Andujar coming back and Lemayhu coming back because Lemayhu said he feels like he's ready to play is going to really boost the team that much but i don't know i mean we got the right guy on the mound to start the series in paxton yeah definitely i think i think it would be huge to get get a win tomorrow with paxton on the mound you know hopefully you give lemayhew one more day off and then hopefully by saturday um when you don't have an arm like paxton on the mound you get lemayhew back which is obviously um, a clear upgrade over estrada and then hopefully some i like guys. estrada though He's oh no me too yeah well but, I mean, um, come on, LeMahieu's a gold glover, and he's been hitting the ball really, really well. Yeah, I mean, if you give me a lineup that has, you know, third to first, Urshela, Torres, LeMahieu, Voigt, Andujar at DH. I like it. I like it. I mean, the outfield stinks, but that's yeah. all right. <laughs> um, anyway, um, what was I going to say? Let's, um, you know, Paxton didn't have a great start in San Francisco, but – he gutted through it. They got the win. Yeah. Uh, but Saturday starter, who we're going to see, Jay Happ, he's pitched great his last his last start, and then many innings before that in that start in Anaheim, he pitched really well. Um, you think he's turned the corner now? Yeah, we should we should definitely give him his props because we were we were killing him early in the year while we were also simultaneously posting Patrick Corbin updates as he's been fantastic with the nationals but honestly hap seems to have turned a corner ever since that start i think it was against boston when he got off to a really really bad start and then he settled down and wound up throwing a quality start i think it was Mm -hmm. he gave up like three runs in the first two innings and then he didn't give up another and i think he got through six or something like that and ever since then he's he's been great uh i don't i haven't looked at any kind of numbers to see what exactly has changed but I think I think through his early starts there was you know that that coveted spin rate was still there on his fastball so maybe he's just locating it better I'm not I'm not too sure but it, it definitely looks like he's been he's been uh, getting away from throwing that fastball over the middle of the plate and 
that's definitely encouraging to see because they obviously need that right now. They need the starting pitching to maintain its efficiency at least for another couple of weeks when these when some of these bats start coming back because in terms of pitching you're not getting much reinforcements anytime soon i i would aside from judge i would imagine that well i mean i, I honestly judge could wind up coming back before both severino and batances i'd say those are your two guys that are going to be on the shelf the longest excluding Didi from that of course he was he's been recovering from tommy john since october so I'd say those are your guys that are still not due back anytime soon. So the pitching, uh, what you see is what you get right now, aside from maybe Chad Green coming back up uh, hopefully soon and hopefully becoming a better version than what he was because that was that was terrible. Yeah, and another thing, just to circle back to Hap, um, I'm looking at his, his numbers from last year, ignoring you, know, just, just reading those. <laughs> If you look, if you look at his first eight starts through last year, he gave up nine homers in eight starts. He didn't give up his 18th homer, so his next nine, all the way until um, his last start of July. So um, it, it's not unlike him to have a have a rough start in terms of giving up the long ball. So it's something that's definitely reassuring. Yeah, that was that was his Achilles' heel over these first few starts was was the home run. So. But if he figured it out like he did last year, maybe it just takes a little time to get that control going. Yeah. Be off to the races. Yeah, absolutely. So Unstoppable team with Mike Talkman at right field. But anyway. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think Batantis probably come back before Judge. You think so? Just going back to that. Yeah, I mean, ju- Judge with an oblique. Batantis is a reliever. Yeah, uh, we'll, take- we'll see. I'd, I'd say that's your three that are – Still ways away, Sevy, Judge, and and Betances, which yeah, which and, stinks because that's your most valuable position player, your most valuable reliever, your most valuable starter. Unless Paxton keeps this up, then you know he can be your most valuable starter. But that's that's rough. It's that's rough to have on the shelf. Yet here the Yankees are at what uh, blanket on their record now? Three games over five hundred or something like that. Yeah, uh, uh, no, four games, seventeen and thirteen. Yeah, which uh, considering the way they started and their lineup they have is is not bad. So no, not at all. They got to keep that up, and then you know they go to let's see, they got the Twins, the Mariners, then they go to Tampa, and then they come back home. So yeah, and they come back home for three against Baltimore, another three. Yeah, that that's that's going to be a crucial swing too, because you think about it, that's that's mid-May. We'll dive into this more next week, but real quick. You know that's that's mid-May where you're hoping to have Andahar back by then, have Stanton back by then, possibly Hicks back by then, and then you have you know a, a quick homestand of Baltimore and Tampa Bay, the latter which will be a big series, and then uh-huh. you go and then you go on the road for four against the Orioles and three against the Royals, and that seems like a stretch where you really need to do some damage and and uh, get this team back on the on the 95 100 win pace. Yeah, that that definitely will be one of those stretches where everybody looks at it, where it's like, okay, this it's time to do some damage here. As if they get off to, if they play their normal series, they play against the Twins. Everybody's going to be thinking that about this homestand. So, I mean, if they could take two or three from the Twins, then you get greedy and you say, okay, you should win three out of four against the Mariners, with the way that they've been playing, and and now we're really looking good for for May and, and here on out in terms of pace. Yeah, so that's that's the week ahead for the Yankees. What uh, anything you're 
looking forward to this week in or out of Yankees universe? Well, I mean, I've been rewatch well, I've been rewatching some and watching some for the first time of the the Marvel movies as I prepare to see Endgame extremely late. Um <laughs> so so I'm actually on the first Avengers now, so I'm completing phase one. I watched like the first half this morning before I went to no, not went to work, but signed on for work. Um, so to continue doing that's been fun and continue breaking down the Battle of Winterfell and looking forward to the next week. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to actually be able to watch Yankee baseball because for me, a 10 o'clock game is really rough and a 7 o'clock game is kind of perfect. So I'm excited to get to, to see them play a little bit more. All right. Yeah, I'm excited to get back to the stadium Saturday. Get Pick me up a nice... Uh cc jedi bobblehead and hopefully see uh hopefully see yankees win oh yeah that's that's true it's star wars day we're both going sitting a couple rows apart because mm-hmm. we got our tickets at separate times you didn't know you were off but yeah that'll be good i haven't been uh haven't been to a game since opening day the weather is a little iffy but it should be good i think we're under the overhang there up in 422 or where <laughs> 429 that's what we're saying yeah um but yeah i'm looking forward to going out there that's it what did you uh Excuse me. How did you, how did you what did you think about the two big things that happened this weekend for you? What did you think of Endgame? No spoilers, please. And what did you think of Battle of Winterfell? You can spoil that all you want. I saw it. <laughs> yeah, no spoilers. I loved Endgame. Um, I would put it right, right below Infinity War, but that is not saying anything negative at all because Infinity War was absolutely incredible, and I thought Avengers Endgame was incredible. I loved it. Um, I think you'll love it too. It had so many great callbacks to. Uh, the rest of the MCU movies, so that was a fun way to sprinkle in some nostalgia for this final run for um, this phase of of the Marvel movies while keeping things fresh and action-packed. And then the Battle of Winterfell, the, the episode itself, I loved. You know, from the music to the to the build-up through the first ten minutes, kind of showing the formations and everything of the... Dothraki and the Unsullied. I love the scenes with Melisandre. I just, I was just a little bummed with the result. Uh, and not the result itself in terms of like how they had Arya come in and, and take out the Night King because that was amazing. Like the, just the, you know, slow motion piano music as the Night King rolls in with his entourage to come get Bran. Uh, that was all incredible. I love that. I just, you know, the long night should be more than one night. Uh, you know, I, I just thought the Night King was and and the White Walkers were ended too quickly. That has been my favorite storyline of the show between them and the Night's Watch. And um, I get it. I guess they see a more. I, see, I guess they see Cersei as a more intriguing adversary to focus on for the last season. I personally would have preferred the latter. Maybe have. You know, maybe have the the Night King win that battle and have the remaining survivors have to retreat further south and and this continues so that way we can learn more about the night king and his dynamic with bran just just something else you know that this is this is a storyline they've been teasing since the very first scene of the show and you and uh, with exception of maybe two seasons with john dying and daenerys's dragons being born it seems like the last scene of every season is the is the white walker army growing in size and marching closer and closer to the wall ending with you know the end of last season when they knocked down the wall but i just i I was hoping that this would have 
you know, gone on a little longer than, than it did. I, I agree. I actually, I think they should have split the, the battle of Winterfell almost into two episodes where I, I thought the whole mechanics of it were tough. I thought the, like you said, the build up the first 10 minutes, of the episode were really good. And then I thought from there up until, um, up until they come down off the dragons, um, and John, and he raises the army of the dead was pretty bad. Um, I didn't like the battle mechanics. I know they were going for like a, a murky look, but the way that they attacked was so stupid. I couldn't get over it. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, that is the uh, here, here's, here's, way they just charge in. Yeah. But here, here's my, my question. Why don't you lure the army of the dead straight? Like they did at the unsullied and have those big, fireballs that they had that they were shooting out at them all lined up on the side and just kind of collapse in upon them or use the dragons to sort of, um, you know, wipe them away. That would have been probably a hell of a lot smarter. I think it would have been more interesting. Like you said, if they almost had some where they had a smarter plan to defeat the army of the dead. Um, and it seems like maybe humanity is winning. And then the night King shows up, raises all the dead and the episode ends with him walking into Winterfell and then the next episode is basically so you know they're screwed. And the next episode's like a retreat, and then they tease it on a little bit more because um, you know, like I texted you, I think it'll be more emotional to see characters die at the hands of Cersei because you hate Cersei. You don't really, I mean, obviously you know the Night King and the, the Army of the Dead is bad, but you don't really have like a hatred that you've built up for them. It's just like okay, this is bad. But with it Cersei, it's like oh god, I hate that bitch. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess the only part where we disagree is that I, I liked the battle. I mean, obviously that was a stupid strategy to send the Dothraki in, but Jon Snow also tried to take on an entire army by himself in the battle of the bastards. So, well, he didn't really. He had no choice there <laughs> because he, you know, was, I hope if I get bow and arrow through the chest, you would ride out to help me. I might I might do what John did to Sam when he's running past him in Winterfell last episode, and Sam's just like laying on the ground screaming, <laughs> and he just like looks and then keeps running. No, I'm just kidding. But um, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the battle sequences. It kept me invested the whole time. I, I was watching the um, making of the episode that they always release the next morning, and they said how they their goal was to break it up into three phases, like suspense, horror, and action. And I mm-hmm. thought they I thought they accomplished that very well. I mean, it was it was very tense the first ten minutes when you're kind of waiting for mm-hmm. the army of the dead to show up. That was great. I mean, the horror scenes with Arya. Um, sneaking through the library, trying to get away from those White Walkers. That, I mean, I thought that was very well done. And her action sequences were all incredible with the weapon that Gendry made her. I thought that looked really, yeah, that really cool. cool. And yeah, every, all right, everything inside of Winterfell, I liked. Yeah, everything outside of Winterfell, except for the the very beginning, the the scene where Melisandre lights up the torches was awesome. Yeah, I, I, and the scene when she lights the trench, I thought was was really sick. Yeah, that was cool, but like just because they were already in the middle of it, you're like, okay, this is like a strategy move, but like kind of like that pump up that got me going. Yeah. Um, but to close out, even though you can't give me any spoilers, I've watched the first phase of the MCU now. So I've gotten Thor, Hulk, um, Iron Man, Captain America, um, Black Widow. Black and, Widow. Uh, what? What's Black Widow movie doesn't come out till like 2020. All right, now who am I thinking of? Uh, phase one. Who, no, no, she's a, she's a, isn't that her name? That um, what's her face? That's who Scarlett Johansson plays, but she doesn't have her own yeah, movie. But she's in it. She's in. Oh, it. oh, all right. I thought you were like right? listing she's the movies in you Avengers. watched. No, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I'm a big Scarlett Johansson fan, by the way. Oh yeah, just just throwing that out there. Former and, former uh, girlfriend of Derek Jeter, I believe. She better get herself checked. And <laughs> Hawkeye. Um, so which so out of that group, because that's like the first Avengers. Yeah. Which which Yankees would you apply to them? Let's let's close <laughs> out on an Avengers note since we spent a little time on. Well, Hawkeye has pinpoint control, so I definitely wouldn't put Britain or Chapman to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, can we, can I just say one that has to happen? Yeah. Cece is Hulk because yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, really nice guy, real cerebral, and then he gets mad and That's you don't a want to. Yeah. Uh, Judge so Judge Captain America. Yeah, that that that's a good one. Although Marvel Day is coming up in July, and they're having Mariana Rivera as as Captain America bobblehead. Which, why wouldn't they just do Captain Panama? That's where he's from. Uh, I don't know. But uh, anyway. Or or Judge, wait, Judge could be Thor. You know, godlike, huge. That's true. Just just thinking. I mean, you could, hmm. But like, he's like the lead, Captain America's like the field leader, which I feel like Judge is. I feel like you can do Stanton as Thor, consider the godlike, uh, super strength and things like that wielding a huge hammer yeah that, that's a good one also like a little bit less mature at times <laughs> yeah uh all right so oh hawkeye so who's got the pinpoint control on, on the yankees right now who's whose walk rate is is very <laughs> it's usually tanaka i was gonna say tanaka would be hawkeye all right we, well we could keep it it's just a rough stretch where he's been walking some more yeah. guys but um but yeah overall he's 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 hawkeye all right, Black Widow. Who's the silent, cunning assassin? Who is like kind of like sneakily has a lot of does a lot of damage. I I would I would say that Gardner is, is okay. Is the Black Widow, real nimble, you know, flipping around and stuff <laughs> all the time, sliding when he shouldn't be sliding. I just realized that we did Thor and Hulk, and we didn't even pick Luke Voigt as one of them. Oh. That's a tough one. All right, so I feel, uh, but here's the thing: I feel like Voight has more of like Iron Man's personality. Like he's he likes to he, yeah, he that's likes, true. He likes himself a lot. <laughs> we we like him too. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, so we could put uh, we could put him as as um, Iron Man. That's a good one. Cool. I think that's everybody, right? Yeah that that takes care of the original ones. Nice. All right. Well, there you go. The Yankees as Avengers. So uh, I guess that's that's a good spot to wrap up. Uh, if every, if anyone hasn't seen Endgame, obviously I highly recommend you go see it. I'll probably go see it again sometime soon, and maybe in a couple weeks when Sean finally sees it, we can get his thoughts on it. But until yeah, I graduate. My graduation's in two weeks. I should be good to go by then. I yeah. only got I only got let's see seven minus twenty. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm through six or seven. So yeah. All right, well, you probably got, you got some work to, to do. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to take a couple sick days. Yeah, well, you better go get to work. And in the meantime, we'll we'll see everybody next week. Hopefully a successful start to uh, the Yankees back on the East Coast. And we'll talk about it more next week with uh, with another get, new guest next week. Just us two this time. But we'll be back to bringing on a guest next week. We'll see everybody then. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great day, and let's go Yankees.